podcaster passionate about empowering youth to raise their voices and tell their stories. On Global Youth Matters, they tell their stories in their own voices on their own terms. They have faced life challenges, social, emotional, health, physical, economic, political, and more. They've gone through rough times and have come out on the other side. Get ready because they'll blow your mind. I'm going to let them talk because their voices matter on Global Youth Matters. It's so nice to have you on the show today. And I was wondering if you could introduce yourselves. Hi, Hannah. Thank you so much for having us on the show. We're really excited to be here. So my name is Masiri Aribo, and I am the co-founder of Noir United International. And my name is Nassim Ashford, and I'm another co-founder of Noir United International. So I guess I'll start with just sharing a little bit about myself. I am the daughter of immigrants from Conakry, Guinea in West Africa, and I was born here in the United States. And I recently just graduated from Columbia University's the School of International and Public Affairs, where I studied international affairs and specifically economic and political development and with a regional specialization in Africa. And prior to that, I got my Bachelor of Arts from Mercer University in Atlanta, Georgia, in Macon, Georgia. And there I studied international affairs and global development studies. And so I'm very passionate about Africa. I'm very passionate about supporting the Black diaspora and supporting the development of marginalized communities. And so that's just a little bit about myself. And I'll share, I'll let Nassim share a little bit. So my name, again, is Nassim Ashford. And I also am a recent master's graduate from the Yale School of Public Health where I got my master's in public health and social and behavioral sciences with a concentration in global health. I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, my family is both from the United States and historically uh, from Jamaica as well, too. My interests and my passions align in global health, public health, and also health equity. My whole purpose and passion is to alleviate the challenges and disparities that are found in marginalized communities as a result of social determinants of health and different factors that influence health outcomes long-term. Wow, very impressive, both of you. I see these Ivy League schools, really knowing what you want. Neither of you mentioned that your your young age, because your your work and your wisdom is so beyond your years. So you want to tell me both how old you are? We're both 25. Very yeah, impressive. I, I just turned 25 <laughs> last week. <laughs> wow. So. Thank you for sharing that, both your interests and your passions and your background. It would be really interesting to know what really influenced your choices and passions to work on Africa. So just to get a little bit about my background. So I grew up in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and my parents, like I mentioned before, immigrated to the United States in the early 1990s. And they were very service-oriented people. All my life, I grew up watching them help other Guinean Immigrants come to the United States, uh, get their citizenship, help them with getting their education. And this was all through like community organizations. So my dad was once the president of the Guinean Association in Atlanta. And my mom is currently uh, the vice president of the Guinean Association. And so service has always been all around me. And I've always been really passionate about that. And I think that's what inspired me to take on the kind of work that I've done. So Even sometimes I think about full circle moments. When I was in undergrad, I interned at the International Rescue Committee. And what really inspired me to do that was just the fact that 
there were other immigrants, other refugees that were coming in who had the same experience as my parents did. And, you know, they have to come to the United States, learn a new language, learn a new culture, establish themselves in a new environment. And me watching my family, my parents kind of navigate that. It also helped me understand the experiences of people who also have to go through those big life changes. And I've also helped my parents as I've gotten older, you know, support my community in that way. So I would say my who I am today is also very heavily influenced by my family and the history of my family. Originally, my family came from Africa and was here based in the United States and were enslaved for generations or they were stationed in Georgia, in Sparta, Georgia. It's a small country town. And in the early 19th or well, early 20th century, my great grandparents left Sparta and went to New York. And being in New York opened the possibilities for them to search for a better life for themselves, but then also their children. And through the hard work of my ancestors and my grandparents, my parents were able to go to school. They were the first people in my family to get their master's degree. And they really, tried everything that they could possibly do to push me in the right direction and help me to have a strong foundation. When I think about my interests in health, I would say that it also comes from my family and my community. Um, growing up, I remember seeing a lot of people in my, in my community that had health issues, diabetes, high blood pressure, hypertension, and even like severe cases of diabetes where people got in there limbs amputated because of uh, their health and their illnesses. And originally this inspired me to become a doctor. And while I was in school in my undergrad, I also went to Mercer with Missouri. I was training to become a doctor. And I remember I, I took a course on public health, global health, and I was introduced to the term social determinants of health. And when I started to really break down the factors of social determinants of health, thinking about where you live and your environment in the city that you, you grow up in and where you go to school and the types of foods that you eat. I saw that a lot of things that were particularly outside of my community's control was being influenced and it was having detrimental effects. And so that inspired me and pushed me to continue doing more research and to continue learning and to seek knowledge so that I can find different solutions to bring back into the community and have an opportunity to give back as well, too. Thank you for uh, both of your inspirations and sharing that both very powerful sort of backgrounds leading into, you know, I understand that you both have founded with other people, the Noir United International. And it seems like both nexuses of your backgrounds are part of this organization. And if you could tell me a little bit, I mean, share a little bit about the organization, that would be great. So we started Noir United International back in 2020. And as you can imagine, it was during a very tumultuous time. It was during the time of the death of George Floyd and also the death of uh, Breonna Taylor and all these people who were affected by police violence in the United States. And it was also during a time of the pandemic where there was a lot of strife and there was a lot of people who were struggling to kind of get by their day-to-day, -day, and we wanted to do something to support that. 
we saw a need basically for an organization that could address the challenges that were affecting the Black community because that was something that was negatively impacting Black people. And when we were thinking about Noir United, we saw that not only was this issue of police brutality and racism affecting people in the United States, but it was affecting people all across the world. So you saw Black Lives Matter protests emerge across France, across South America, across South Africa, and all around the world, people were saying that they knew a George Floyd in their community. And we understood that as the intersections of the Black experience, the transnational Black experience. And Noir United as an organization uh, came from that, came from that um, understanding that, you know, there are a lot of challenges that we face in our community. um, And what can we as people of the community do to address that? How can we come together with our local expertise with our you know community based expertise to address that because we have the knowledge and we also have the solutions. And so ultimately Noir United is a global development and it's also transformed into a humanitarian organization that addresses the issues of black, indigenous and marginalized people who have been affected by racism and the historical legacies of that. And Nassim, do you have anything to add to that? I think Nasiri explained it pretty well, but I would just add that what inspired us mostly with Noir United was the fact that in the middle of the pandemic, being out as a part of the demonstrations, seeing the amount of people that were there and the energy that was seen all throughout the world, we felt that there was a need to capture that energy and to create cross-cultural connections between people. This is also at the root of our organization and is a part of what inspired us to continue doing the work that we are doing here today with helping Africans in Ukraine as well. Yeah, it was right at the moment, right? Responding to the need in the moment, which is really great. Looking at your website a little bit, I, I saw that you've done, as you mentioned, um, helping people in Black communities in the Ukraine. And you want to tell me a little bit about that project and other projects that you've worked on that you So I would say I'll start from the beginning. Our first project in Atlanta was our Black-owned business support fund. So as we were a part of the demonstrations, there was a a unique moment that happened in the city of Atlanta where Black businesses were out standing in front of their businesses and posting signs saying, you know, this is a Black business. This is a place where people can come and shop and spend their money. Um, And when we look at the amount of funding that was given to Black businesses during COVID and the types of relief that were were available to them, Black businesses were not able to access the same amount of funding. And so our first project was to essentially create small micro-grants for businesses. This was a community-led effort. We selected four businesses in the city of Atlanta, spoke to the owner, and asked them of their history, what inspired them to start, and what place did the Black community have to them? And what was what was their inspiration to give back to the community in the future? And so seeing all of this and being a part of that initial movement, we knew that our, our work was going to be community-centered and community-rooted. From there, we went to the drawing board and we we kept looking for different issues that were happening all around the diaspora, all around the world to see what would be most important for us to attach or tie ourselves to. And it wasn't until early 2022 uh, when we first initially 
started to see reports of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, I think at the time, you know, the world was shook. No one was absolutely ready or prepared for it. It was it caught us off guard. But what caught Masiri and I more off guard was the social media reports and news reports of the treatments of African students and African families at the borders and within the countries. And after seeing these reports of discrimination and then connecting with people online via social media and hearing the reports and stories firsthand, we knew that it was something that we definitely needed to get involved in, especially because this issue was such on a on a global scale. Wow. So it seems like your organization is quite able to respond to the immediate needs, right? And I saw also you work on emergency responsiveness. That's part of what you do. And, I, and that's pretty incredible that you could gather resources, actually, which I was going to ask you, where do you get the resources to fund these different projects, I guess? Yeah. So just to to add to what Nassim was saying, we also mentioned that we went to grad school and part of us going to grad school was to find the answer to the question that we had asked. How do we solve this global challenge of racism, this global challenge of development in African diaspora communities? And part of that is trying to find the resources for that. And the way that we were able to mobilize and support African people in Ukraine was through our community. We really reached out to everyone that we knew. I mean, we have interned and we have volunteered and we have worked at a lot of different places from interning on Capitol Hill. Nassim and I interned as Congressional Black Caucus Foundation interns back in 2020. And we reached out to different networks, different people that we knew. Also, like my mom, she, like I mentioned before, she is the vice president of the Guinean Association. So lo and behold, there was a Guinean Association in Ukraine that we were able to get connected to. And so there was a lot of different networks that we had to tap into to try and mobilize resources. And we did that with other community-based organizations. And we ended up using our spring break. And we planned to go to Europe for spring break that year. <laughs> and we were like, we're like, oh, like we should just use our spring break to go meet the students that we've been helping. And we went to France and actually helped uh, pick students up from the train station that we had been communicating with for three weeks. And they were stuck in bunkers in Ukraine. And we helped with the money that we raised, we helped provide them transportation. And they took a three to four day train ride from Ukraine to France. And these students were from Cameroon, mostly from Cameroon and the Congo. And Guinea. Yeah, and Guinea as well. And so we helped meet them. And we went to France. And after leaving France, we went to Poland. And we went to Krakow, Poland and Warsaw, Poland. I mean, we were honestly on the mission to find people and find the people who were affected by this and also confirm their stories of what happened. And once we talked to each one of the people that we met, they all had the same story, the same story of when I left Ukraine and I tried to leave Ukraine, I tried to board the train and I wasn't able to board the train. And when I got to the border, the border patrols were treating me differently from the Ukrainians. And a lot of them struggled with that. So, so Essentially, we used the stories of our journey, our initial trip. So we went to four different countries when we first went to Europe, and we used the stories to reach out to donors via our schools and mentors. 
And they were able to connect us with organizations like the Open Societies Foundation, which was our first uh, grant, actually, to help us on this particular project. And then also a serious mentor as well with uh, Mercy Corps. Um, we were able to get funding from them to support our programming uh, for humanitarian response in Poland and Ukraine. And with this funding, we used it for food, housing, uh, material assistance. Many of them were students. And so they even left their laptops and phones in Ukraine or lost them throughout the transition. And when we first met them, they were still doing classes online. And so doing classes online from their phone, but then also still recovering from the experiences of war, we also noticed a need for mental health support as well, too. And so this is really where we were able to come to the drawing board and see everything that was needed and communicate those needs to the donors, because these particular needs were coming directly from the people who are affected. I have a question. So how many students are we talking about? So I would say before the start of the war, there were over 16,000 students that were studying in Ukraine. Many, Many of them were mainly medical students. Ukraine has a lot of medical schools, and so most of them were studying in Ukraine because the cost of tuition to become a doctor was much cheaper than in Western uh, Europe or in other places. And the ones that you were able to help, was that many, or was it a small number? Or do you know? Yeah. Yeah, we have about 2,000 students that are within our network, and help really ranges from the matter of need. So like I said, in Poland, just... Because of the amount of students that were particularly there, we're working with the school in Baitum, Poland. With, it's called the Kiev Medical School. It's a satellite branch school from Ukraine and Poland. There are about 650 students that are currently there. We help them with food and with housing and really just providing mental and moral support for them as they continue their studies. Uh, many of them are also final year students. So we were working with them until they were able to graduate. As far as like in other areas, uh, we primarily relied on social media. We have group chats in which we communicate with students. They connect with us whenever they're having issues or problems, communicate those needs. And then also we use emails to send out different information to them to let them know about educational opportunities or uh, legal assistance opportunities that they may they need in the country that they're currently in as well. So that's a, that's a big number of students. That's really quite impressive you were able to do that. Are there any other um, programs or that's basically where your efforts have been that you would like to share with me? Or Yeah, I mean, that has been the biggest project that we've taken on so far. And outside of uh, those projects, we do a lot of advocacy work, raising awareness via social media on particular issues. We also host communal spaces to discuss important issues. And so, for example, when there are issues happening across the diaspora, hosting things as simple as Twitter spaces, to have a forum for people to speak their mind and speak and address issues that they think are important to them. But also learn more too. Yeah, to learn more. And the whole purpose of this is to educate people about what's happening around the world because oftentimes we are so confined in our bubble and what's happening around us in the country that we're in that we don't necessarily get the exposure to other issues that are affecting people who are who look like us, people who have similar backgrounds as us. And we don't really get the chance to understand how those issues are connected or interconnected with our own issues. And so we really think that it's important for us to 
raise awareness about the other advocacy and um, activism that's happening around the world and how we can come together and share that activism as well. We've hosted spaces talking about issues such as what's happening in Haiti, as well as in Sudan. I mean, really just bringing different members of their diaspora to the table so that we can learn as well and members of our community can get in touch with them too. So I want to ask you about one, something else I read about on your website, which I, I thought was interesting given that you guys have both volunteered different places. I noticed that there was opportunities for volunteering, which is a great way to learn about what you do and to help other young people or not young people work. So if you could tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, we have volunteer opportunities and it really varies, right? So here with our work that we've been doing, we have volunteer opportunities where young people can get involved with helping us with our communications, helping us with uh, research and development, and also with our advocacy work. And part of the research is having conduct community-based research and understanding the challenges that are happening across different communities and having that information be used to develop solutions to the challenges that are affecting the communities that they come from. And so these volunteer opportunities allow students and young people to, one, explore an interest of theirs that they may have had the opportunity to explore before. The reason why we created this organization was because there was a gap that we identified, especially within our own education. Looking at the intersections of development, Black communities, we learn about these things from a perspective that is Western-centered or Western-focused. And, you know, we wanted to take a decolonized approach to the challenges that we're trying to address and the issues that we're trying to understand and really trying to look at the, all of the different perspectives that go into that. And so we want to make sure that those that do volunteer with us and that do join our community have that opportunity too. That's great. Great for young people to have that kind of exposure and voice and input. Very, very good. So I wanted to ask you, were there some challenges along the way that you'd like to share with me, with, with the organization or in your lives or anything that would help us? Uh, I'll answer this one. I guess in just putting this out there throughout the last two years, again, Ms. Harry and I were full-time graduate students. And so doing this project, I guess in the, well, I know in the beginning, we didn't necessarily know how big it would be, especially with us still taking classes full time. So I would say our, our biggest challenge was time management and making sure that we had everything aligned and in focused. There was a lot of times where we had to come to the drawing table with one another and lay out our priorities, just given our schoolwork, but then also managing two grants at the same time. From there, we were originally doing this as a two-man team, me and her. From that point, that's when we started putting out fillers and reachers for volunteers to come and join us, to assist us and help us. And I would say that it was a true learning process for us, especially because we're a new organization. So doing school, managing grants, but then also now building out a team and a team that you can trust and rely on I would say it's been one of the biggest challenges so far, but it has really helped us and allowed us to grow immensely. Now we know what steps and processes are necessary and are needed to be put in place in order for us to thrive and grow. 
So great. So that came from just experience. So you could overcome that and figure out, you said time management and you got through that by just being organized and helping people. Is that accurate? Or how did you overcome that? All those things? Was it? I think the, the way that we overcame that was really leaning on our community, right? Leaning on our family I will say our family played a big role in supporting us on this project and encouraging us because I was initially, they were afraid. We told them that we were going to Poland and they were like, there's a war over there. Why would you do that? Eventually they came, they came and supported us 100%. And honestly, we wouldn't be where we are without the support of our family, without the support of our mentors, our professors at university. People at our universities were so supportive I mean, they encouraged us to actually go live out what we were learning in the classroom. And we were able to use that, use what we learned out in the world, out traveling across Europe and bring that back to the classroom and share that with our peers, with our classmates. Even Nassim's thesis was on this project. His master's thesis was on this project. So shout out to him. (laughs) So (laughs) we overcame this through community. And I think that's what is the biggest lesson here. And it reminds us of why we started this. And the whole point of this is to, you know, make sure that your community is there to support you when you're going through some of the biggest challenges and obstacles that you're facing. They're there to guide you and your elders are there to guide you and share with you what they've learned and how they've navigated some of the challenges that we are now encountering at our young age. And it sounds like when you, you two were very, very inspirational and could get a lot of people to support you. So that's also amazing. You know, I'm going to go into a little bit of how has this impacted your lives as individuals, what you've been doing? Can did you have anything to share on that? I would say before taking on this, this big project, it was my first time going to Europe. I mainly traveled in like the Caribbean and in Latin America. And I remember having like, this idea of what it meant to be able to have privilege and have access to different things, especially because um, even though I'm a Jamaican and Jamaican citizen, but I'm also an American as well, I would say the biggest impact for me has been the stories that I've heard and the, the people that I've met. A lot of them who we've interacted with have not had so much pleasant experiences just because of uh, their status of who they are and the countries that they come from. Um, so it's, it's been a very humbling experience for me, always having to think back and reflect on myself, but then also them as well, just trying to be the best resource that I can be. And another thing, also just being a, a vessel of information. So whereas people like you or those who may listen to your show might not have the opportunity to meet some of the ones that we've had the opportunity to work with, at least we and I can be a a vessel of information and help to shed light to some of their stories and experiences. And I think that that's really helped me as a person to grow and to just be more foundational. Great. Thank you. How about you, Masiri? I think for me, how this experience impacted my life is is really connected to what Nassim said. But another thing that I had to really overcome was really grappling with my identity as well and grappling with racism and racism that we experienced across Europe. We've experienced 
structural racism here in the United States and racism, overt racism too. It was different to experience that in another country with in a foreign place that you are not used to. And we've had to navigate people not trusting us, people putting very, I guess, people... Discrimination. Yeah, people discriminating against us. Oftentimes, we were the only Black people in the room with the Ukraine crisis. And a lot of times, people would choose to not understand um, the importance of the work that we were doing and the importance of the lives of the African refugees that were also living in Ukraine. And so we really had to try and understand how best to address that from our own perspective and understanding our own identities shift as we travel around the world too. And so um, grappling with what it means to be Black um, as you move across different borders, I think that experience was really eye-opening for the both of us. I think we are still kind of navigating that. It is a trauma in itself. And so we are still navigating that. And we're really looking forward to seeing like how the work that we do manifests itself into changing those kind of systems. I would say that it was a very emotional process, especially knowing that some of the things that you experienced, you were not supposed to experience and it was completely unfair. We really had to lean on each other hard because it was just us together in Europe experiencing all of these different things. And and just to shed light on some of the experiences we've had. So, for example, being in Hungary and may call a, a taxi driver to come take you to a location to meet another student. And the taxi refuses you to get in the car. Even just disagreements and arguments with people in, in public. Even having our documents triple checked and people wondering if our passports are not real. And, you know, people calling their upper managers to confirm our documents to see if it's accurate as we're leaving Poland and almost about to miss our flight. So it's, yeah, dramatic. We had to really just unpack everything together and try to remain stable and calm because at the end of the day, we were there for a mission. We were there to help. And if we ourselves were dysregulated, it would have dysregulated the entire operation. So we, we strived hard to just make sure that we had a sound mind, sound body, and emotionally with that we were stable together as well. Yeah, and I would add that, and this is just the reality of things, but us being American really, really did help. There is a certain kind of privilege that you do have when you have a blue passport and you are American. And I think that had been, that was kind of a shield for us. You know, as we were working with lots of people who were of African descent, from other countries across the world, they didn't have that same kind of shield or privilege. Us being able to speak English and have our American accent, sometimes it would completely shift the way that people would treat us. And have we not spoken English or have we not said, oh, we're from America, they would have treated us as if our lives were not worthy. And I think that was one of the biggest takeaways that we learned, even just talking to some of the students that were leaving Ukraine. They shared with us how they felt very dehumanized and they felt as if they weren't protected with the passport that they had or because of the country that they were from. And so we were also grappling with that privilege that we also had as we were traveling through Europe. And that also helped us navigate some of the experiences as we were talking to potential, I mean, other organizations, other NGOs, people who were at the UN or, you know, things like that. So. And reinforces what you do, right? Reinforces your work. 
your organization (laughs) really makes it feel very important. Before I I get on to a different question, I was going to ask, there are many opportunities, I think, or opportunities that you took advantage of in your lives, both of you two. You talked about family and you talked about opportunities through your parents and et cetera. And then how would you advise other young people who, like you, come from similar backgrounds, but just don't know how to navigate those opportunities? Not opportunities, but you created or took advantage or to be able to find them. Anything you would want to share on that? I would say in the beginning, we never knew where we would be today. And so for younger generations or people who are just like us or coming after us, it's always important to have a strong sense of self and to know who you are, what your purpose is, what pushes you, what drives you, and what what do you see for yourself and your future? I think a lot of times Masiri and I think heavily on the future and how we imagine and envision our life being. And from that point, we, we basically, we try to fill in the gaps. We, we see what's necessary for us to be in a certain position and we do whatever means by any means to get to the position and to the point that we want to be at. And it's really, it's just so important more than ever, especially now in today's society to just have a, a sense of self because without that sense of self, you don't really have anything to fall back on. And it's hard to navigate the world when there's so many different influences that are constantly pressuring you and constantly pushing you in different directions. And being able to navigate even those different influences and those pressures at the end is what makes you stronger eventually. So just a question on that. How would you advise young people to get that sense of self if you can come up with a way? Like what would you or do you have any advice on that? Uh, For me personally, it was reading and learning. I remember there were certain key fundamental books that pretty much shifted my entire focus and mind state that allowed me to see the world as it truly was and not as as I had seen it or had been taught. It allowed me to formulate my own ideas and my own identity about myself, my family, my community, and even just my culture as a whole. So I, I did some deep soul searching, especially, I would say, you know, pivotal moments of my life right before I went to college, meeting with family members and doing extensive reading. When I graduated from college, right before starting my master's program again. So it was, it was almost as if every new step that I was coming into before I, I took on new things that I had not previously learned, I went back and I did more research, more study on the things that I thought I knew already about myself and where I came from. Thank you for that. Masiri, do you have any feedback on that question? Or Yeah. I guess for me, what I would advise other youth would be to just keep dreaming. I feel like a lot of times we don't really allow ourselves the opportunity to dream, to dream our wildest dreams and to take steps towards achieving those wildest dreams. And I say like from a practical point is you envision something for yourself um, and you envision you have a a goal. You know, if you set a goal for yourself and you have that goal that you want to achieve, what are the different steps that you can do to take that? And so, you know, I can 
use myself as an example. I had this goal of wanting to go to an Ivy League school and to study international affairs with the top students. What did I do? I exposed myself to different opportunities. I, you know, I applied to different programs. I did a fellowship program called the Public Policy and International Affairs Fellowship, which also helped me learn more about how to address specific issues, the global issues, policy issues. I also studied abroad. While I was an undergrad, I studied abroad in South Africa with my school. And a lot of these things, sometimes you may think that they're out of your reach or they may be unaffordable. I was someone who received Pell Grant. And so having Pell Grant helped me subsidize my trip to South Africa. And so, and going to South Africa, I mean, it really changed my entire I would say it changed my life and it helped me see what my purpose was. And it was in that moment when I was there in South Africa that I realized that I wanted to come back to Africa and that I wanted to help African and African people and all African people, um, people of African descent. And so it was those different experiences that opened my eyes to what could be possible and how higher I could climb towards my dreams. And so I believe that everyone has the ability to dream We shouldn't stifle people's ability to do that. And if you believe in something and you really want to achieve something, all it takes is the effort and the research and connecting with people who can guide you along your path. So I had a lot of different mentors to guide me and help me make the best decisions for myself. And not everyone can have that. For example, some people may have family members that can help guide them. My family are people are immigrants, and so they may not know how to navigate the American system in the best way. So A lot of those things I had to go and seek out for myself, and I had to seek out support from my school and from people who I had met along my journey. And I really appreciate the time that they took to invest in me. And now that people have invested in me, I'm glad that I'm able to use my time to invest in others. And so I think that's the best way to go about it. If you have a dream, work towards achieving that and take the steps to do it. That's uh, really good lessons for young people. So I think the knowledge of self and capacity to dream, connecting with people who can help you, and I think determination, right? You're both very determined people. So that's that's really great advice. And if you wanted, before we close, were there any life lessons that you wanted to share? I would say never be afraid. A lot of times, when especially when you're growing up, if someone tells you you can't do something or that's not for you, it limits your mind scope of what's possible. And I, I can think back even just to my undergrad experience. Originally, like even thinking about school, I, I set my mind on going to John Hopkins because I've said that they were the number one public health school. Masiri, as she said, she, she always said that she wanted to go to an Ivy League school. And for me, I never knew or never thought it was possible to go to an Ivy League school, especially from my background and just from what I saw. I, was, I wouldn't say I was afraid, but the thought of making it to that level wasn't really, it wasn't as succinct. It wasn't as, it wasn't all the way there. And so I would say just everything that we've been able to do, flying to the middle of a war-torn area, region, between doing that and and meeting new people and and connecting with people and then having to come back to classes and, you know, thinking about what people are going to say when you come back and what your professors are going to say and 
a lot of times you, you just have to remove that that fear because the fear is the one thing that can hold you back. And if you can, you know, just be comfortable with who you are and, and what you're doing, there's you never know what's possible to achieve. And you, you're serving as both of you serving as really examples of where people can go. So what about you, Masiri? Do you have anything that you want to share? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is to believe in yourself. A lot of times we can have a little self-doubt, think that we can't do the things that we say we want to do or that it's, it feels impossible to get there. You really do have to believe in yourself and to trust yourself, to trust that you can make the right decision for yourself and that you can get to where you want to be. Because there will be a lot of different people telling you a lot of different things and influencing you, like Matthew said, in different directions. You have to believe in yourself and you have to believe that, you know, if you set out to do something great, that you can do it. And if you set out, I mean, it doesn't have to be something so great. Like it can always be something just that you are passionate about and that you care about. Um, and if you believe in that, you can always work towards that. And so it always starts with believing in yourself. So, Well, thank you both for all these, both of you as inspirations and this really, really great organization. And we look forward to hearing more about Noir United International in the future. And thank you again. Thank you. We really appreciate your time and for you having us on your podcast. And for anyone who would like to learn more about our work, you can visit our website at noirunited.org, N-O-I-R-U-N-I-T-E-D.org. This is the Global Youth Matters Podcast. We hope you'll subscribe or follow us at Apple Podcast or your favorite pod platform. We would really appreciate it if you leave us a positive review, especially on Apple. This helps us build an audience. Finally, we want to hear from you. You can reach us by email at globalyouthmatters at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.